Well, praise the Lord. I love that last line that Lauren shared there. But as for me, I choose to follow Jesus. And that's our desire. Jesus calls us to himself. He calls us to follow him. And in continuing in discipleship, sometimes that means, as we are seeking to fulfill mission, that we need to continue in battle readiness. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 17, one of the most familiar passages in the Old Testament. If I was to say David and, most people would say Goliath. We all know the story. We loved it growing up. David facing the giant. The Bible begins, and most of us know this story well, in verse 1, the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Socha, which belongeth unto Judah, and pitched between Socho and Azekah in Ephesdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Skip down to verse 11. And when Saul and all Israel heard those words, you know the story, Goliath comes out, he gives a challenge. He directs the challenge toward any individual soldier in the Israeli army. If you will step forward and face me and fight me and defeat me, then we will be your servants. But if I win then you must be enslaved to us. And the Bible says when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. At this point, David shows up. His dad sends him from tending the sheep uh, back with the family. He brings some food to the brothers. And he shows up to visit his brothers and to see the battle, and just as Israel's lining up to battle. And in verse 20 to 21, it says, He, David, came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. Goliath exit at this point. He comes out and presents his challenge. For 40 days, he's presenting, morning and evening, presenting this single challenge. The Bible says in verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him, and were sore afraid. I love that phrase there. They were sore afraid. They were so afraid it hurt, okay? This was bad. They are in a bad situation. And all of us have obstacles. All of us as individuals, we as a church, have obstacles and difficulties. We all have, metaphorically, giants that we face. I think most recently of this entire pandemic that hit the world, uh, in the video we just watched, we, we were seeing some amazing momentum early in 2020. We had just turned the church over to Pastor Malik as the lead pastor. And, and our family's getting ready while we're still going to stay headquartered in San Luis and continue our uh, evangelistic efforts there in the city. We're looking to branch out into other parts of the country and, and uh, really see more people saved, try to get more churches started. And we really didn't know what that's going to look like at this point. And people were getting saved. We, we were seeing people baptized. We were seeing new visitors every week. Man, we, we had this forward momentum going, and then bam, here hits COVID, right in the middle of it. And I mean, everything shut down. And with my North American mentality, I thought, man, we're going to lose all this momentum. We're moving forward, and people are being saved. We're seeing a work done, and we're going to lose all that. 
And a lot of times what we fail to realize when these giant obstacles come into our lives, we fail to just stop, step back, and look at what God is doing. Anytime God allows a challenge, anytime God allows an obstacle or a giant to enter into our life, it's because he is about to do something great and amazing. God is just looking for one or two individuals who will face the challenge and glorify his name. And I don't have time to go into all of it, but it was amazing to watch as our online ministry began to expand and uh, we began to see thousands of people uh, connecting through online, millions of views with our evangelistic uh, outreach that we do online, all within Senegal, hundreds of people constantly contacting Pastor Malik through the phone, through an app, and uh, he would, every time I was with him, somebody new would contact him with questions about the Bible. We got word from a, the aunt of a lady who attends our church. She said, I've been reading the Bible. She came from a Catholic background, and the church was shut down as well, and she said, I've been reading the Bible, and she said, can you guys get me one of your Bibles, because our Bible's a little different, but even reading our Bible, she said, I just, I feel like we've been lied to our entire life. And uh, we said, We're, we'll be glad to get you a Bible. And we began seeing people evangelizing their family. And by the time we reopened, about three months later, from the time we shut down, our church attendance doubled in number. And that's just God, God did it. Just stepping back and seeing what God is doing. Sure, there are challenges. And David is going to come and face this giant. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's running away. Now, the Bible tells us, one of the reasons I love the stories of the Bible, not just because they're the most exciting stories ever told, ever penned to page, but I love the Old Testament stories because not only are they exciting, but they're true. And the Bible tells us that they were written for our admonition. And just like Israel of old, we the church are a chosen generation, the Bible says. Peter tells us we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a peculiar people, meaning a purchased people. We are bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. For what end? To what reason? Here's what Peter said. To the end that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Bible says we are called with a holy calling. We are set apart. We have a higher calling. And I try to remind believers all the time, we have a higher calling as citizens of the kingdom of heaven than just citizens of these temporary nations. We have a great, high, and holy calling. The Bible says that Jesus in 2 Timothy 1.9 saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. In other words, God has a plan. God is at work in this world, and God desires to use you and I, he desires to use we, the church, to accomplish his mission, to accomplish and finish his work. Of course, we looked this morning, Jesus says, what I consume, my meat, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. We are called to pursue and follow the will of God. Jesus taught us that the will of God is that you might know him. And that you might know the Father and he whom the Father has sent. The will of God is to know Jesus. He's called us to follow him. He's called us to finish his work. The work is to believe in Jesus and to make Christ known. The work is to obey Christ, to follow his commandments, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. 
Jesus has called us to fulfill his mission. He told his disciples, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. I think it's important to note, extremely important to note, that the mission of the church, that my mission and your mission as disciples of Jesus Christ is not primarily to win souls and build a great work for God. The mission, the mission God has given us is to glorify God and Jesus Christ. That's the mission. Now, the work includes evangelism. The work includes winning souls and building a work for God. But the mission, our objective, is to glorify God. This was the primary objective that consumed Jesus. He said, now is my soul troubled. He knew he was going to the cross. And look, if the objective was just to reign on earth, which Jesus came, he will reign. And he will return and reign. And all men will be in subjection to him. But if Jesus' mission was just to reign on earth, Satan offered him a way to bypass that. He said, hey, I can give you all the nations that I have dominion over if you'll just bow down and worship me. Jesus could have bypassed the glory of God and fulfilled what could have looked like his mission, but he wouldn't have glorified God. Jesus was consumed with this mission. He said, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. I encourage you to go back and read the prayer of Jesus in John 17. Jesus says, now is the hour come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. He says in verse 3 of chapter 17 in John, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Jesus said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. In verse 6 he says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me. Look, winning souls is part of the work evangelism is part of the work church planning is part of the work but the mission is to glorify God the mission is to make Jesus known and here's the great thing about this mission here's the great thing about this work he's called us to God is going to win Jesus will be glorified Paul said this now praise be to God thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph how and makes manifest the fragrance or the savor of his knowledge by us in every place, there's no wrong place to go and preach the gospel. There's no wrong person to share the gospel with. You see, Jesus, God is glorified in the very fact that Jesus is made known. And that's why Paul's consuming passion was to go to the regions beyond, where Christ was not named. You see, we didn't have a desire to go to Senegal. It is, never was our desire. And it's not our desire. To go to Senegal and build a great work for God and pray and ask God to bless the work. No, our desire is to go and to build our lives for God. To build a life for God in Senegal and plug into what he is doing and get in on the blessing of what God is doing. To build a life worthy of his glory in Senegal and the work will take care of itself. When we get our mission objective right, when we get our priorities stay straight, that it is my job to live for Christ, to know him and live for him. Look, Christianity is more about being than it is about doing. Christianity is more about what you are than what you do. 
we must cultivate a consistent pursuit of the will of God. That is to know him. And when you know him, when you know the Lord in intimate relationship, in intimate knowledge, then you'll do the work. You can't help but fulfill the work to which he calls us. When you walk in the light, you can't help but receive that light and consume that light. And when that light of life and love fills you, you can't, you can't contain that. When you have a sincere walk with knowing God, when you know him, you'll do the work. And when you do the work because you're pursuing him, he will be glorified in the work. It's so important that we understand that Jesus has called us to glorify him. He's called us to a partnership with himself. Can you imagine that? We are co-laborers with God. Co-laborers. He has called each of us to enjoin him in his work. And because he's called us to this partnership, Jesus has equipped us for this task. He's given us everything we need, as Peter said, that pertains to life and godliness. In fact, Peter even said he has made us partakers of the divine nature. He's given us everything we need to fulfill the mission, to do the work, and to know his will. Everything is at our disposal. And yet the work remains undone. There are still places in this world where Jesus Christ is not known. One of the great enemies to our mission fulfillment is fear. Man, fear has been just so prevalent in society today. I think fear has always been there. It's just COVID has brought it out. Uh, this fear, when we, we've detached ourselves from a reverence of God, and now I mean anything, anything comes up, and there's so much fear and uncertainty in society. David is an example uh, for us. That's why I love the story of David. He's an example for us on how to respond to the challenges that we face as soldiers of Jesus Christ. Look, David is not an anomaly here. He didn't just show up and because of his courageous character, because of his personality, he was used of God. David was used of God because his faith in God and his relationship he had cultivated was a deep relationship and fellowship with God. And that fellowship with God, David's walk with his shepherd, his desire to know his shepherd, and his walk with his God was the impetus for the courage that he needed to face Goliath. Paul tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has given us a spirit not of fear, that word fear is an interesting word. This is the only instance in the New Testament where that Greek word that's translated fear in the New Testament, it's the only one time that the Greek word is used in the New Testament. It's where we get our word delicate. God has not given us a delicate spirit. It can be translated as timid, cowardly, maybe in modern vernacular we might use the word snowflake. God has not created snowflakes, okay? He's not looking for snowflakes. God is looking for soldiers to endure hardness. He's called us to a work. Look, it comes from that word, uh, delicia. It comes from the root word in Greek that conveys the idea of faithlessness. In other words, it is fear that is founded on faithlessness. When you're faithless, when you doubt God's promises, when you doubt God's power... When you are filled with doubts in God, of course fear will well up when you are faced with insurmountable challenges. Look, faith is not blind. 
A lot of people talk about, well, I just trust by faith, just blind faith, just trusting God. I may not understand it. Look, faith is not blind. Biblical faith, according to Paul, who said, we don't have a, a spirit of fear that's founded on faithlessness and doubt. We have a more sure word. We have a, we have a sure testimony given to us by God. Biblical faith is grounded on God's power and love. He's given us a spirit of a sound mind. Which means that God has given us a faith that is grounded in his holy love. And we can be confident in his absolute divine sovereign power. And rooted in the sound reasoning of scriptures. By faith we can face any challenge that comes in our way. That Christ might be glorified. And here in the story we see David's faith filled courage. That God had allowed him to develop in order to fulfill mission. His faith and his courage was not rooted in self-confident nature or his personality. Some people might be a little more confident than others. Some might be more timid than others. David's faith was not based in his own self-confidence or his personality. It was not dependent on his ability or power. David understood who he was and he understand and understood what God expected of him as a child of Israel. He knew the promises of God. David knew according to the Torah in Exodus 19, 50, 19 verse 5 that we are a peculiar people. That Israel was treasured by God. Purchased by God. David understood in Deuteronomy 26, 18. He knew that they, Israel, were a chosen people who had been exalted above all other nations equipped with God's presence, with God's power, and with all of his promises to fulfill the mission that God had called them as a nation to fulfill. David knew from his pursuit of God and his fellowship with his shepherd that they had a task to fulfill. And the task that every Israeli had, the task that every Hebrew had, was to manifest God and to glorify the name of Yahweh by obedience to his commands and by facing the enemy without doubt. In Deuteronomy 6, 17 and 19, God commands Israel and says, "Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to cast out all the enemies from before thee, as the Lord hath spoken. This is their job. As long as there is an enemy taking ground in Israel's territory, God is not being glorified the way he desires to. As long as the enemy is there, David understood, God's glory is at stake. And we as Israel are called to engage in mission fulfillment. And sometimes that means enduring hardness, being battle ready. It means dealing with fear. Fear manifests itself in multiple forms. The army facing Goliath was gripped by fear. A fear that was rooted in faithlessness in the promises of God. They knew the promises of God. Every soldier in that army had access to the Torah and the teaching of the Torah. They knew God had called them. They knew the promises that one would chase a hundred and a hundred could chase ten thousand. They knew no enemy would stand before them. And yet their fear was rooted in this faithlessness in God's power, in God's promises. And everything that hinders us from moving forward from God, for God is fear and faithlessness in his promises whether by ignorance of his commands, or whether they doubted his power, 
or whether it was just straight up denial of God's calling in their life, fear will manifest itself in our lives. And fear manifests itself primarily in our response to opposition. Fear will manifest itself, faith or fear will manifest itself when we face opposition and obstacles and difficulties. Notice the subtle ways that faithless fear manifests itself. Number one, fear will manifest itself when we allow the monotony of routine and experience to harden us to the necessity of facing newer and greater obstacles. Israel lined up, the Bible says in verse 20, when David showed up, they came to the trench, the host was going forth to fight, they shouted for the battle, they're making a noise, they put the army in array, army against army, and all the men of Israel, when Goliath comes out, fled from him and were sore afraid. In other words, they line up like they're trained. They're where they should be. They've prepared for this, they've trained for this. They prepare for the routine assault of the enemy. The problem is Satan, the, our true enemy, has no routine. Satan has no routine in his attack of us. He only has one singular obsession, and that is to dishonor God by seeking to destroy what God has created. This is mainly accomplished by usurping his authority or casting doubt on his word. But Israel had gotten used to going through the motion. I mean, can you imagine? They line up. They're ready. They're in their seat in church. You know, they're where they're supposed to be. They line up. I know what I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And they get ne stand next to each other, puffing up. And there's, there's strength in numbers. So they're lining up with their swords. They're making noise. They're shouting. They're eyeing each other out. You know, everybody, the Philistines across the line. That guy looks about my size. They're like, I'll take that guy over there. I got him, man. He's going down there. The guy's like, I'll take the short guy over there. I got him. You know, they're puffing up. They're getting all brave. They're pumping each other up, ready to go. And out steps Goliath. And everybody just kind of goes, somebody, somebody else got this. You know, they kind of back up. Israel was used to going through the motions, puffing up, eyeing up to competition. And Goliath steps out and directs his challenge toward any single individual. And what happens? Overcome with fear, they cower at the challenge. They flee. See, there's nothing more settling. And I know your pastor knows this more than anything. As a preacher and a pastor especially, I understand this, and this is true in, in our lives in general. There's nothing more unsettling than facing situations that are out of your control. That's one thing's COVID, I mean, it hit, and I mean, it, it was unsettling for a lot of pastors. How do I deal with this? I mean, this is out of my control. How am I going to keep the church together? What are you going to do? And I've been so encouraged the way your pastor has handled the situation, the way the church has really just come together and, and been strengthening each other. And I just, it's been a blessing to see how your church here has responded to this and staying faithful to the Lord. But oftentimes this singular enemy will come up and he'll call us out as individuals. And how you respond when an enemy singles you out is a spiritual gauge of your personal walk with God. Look, there's... There's definite strength in numbers. And that brings us to the second point. Faithless fear will manifest itself in a most subtle and dangerous way when we get lost in the crowd. One of the things COVID did is it caused us all to step back and say, what's, not just what's going on here with the government and all this and that, but what is God doing? See, when you don't step back, when this giant faces said, hey, this, this giant before me, this is just another chance for God to glorify himself in us. What is God doing here? Instead, they focused in on this giant before them and the impossibility of facing him as an individual, and they cowered in fear. And of course, they 
would. This was an obstacle. See, it's easy to get lost in the crowd. It's easy to get puffed up when the guy you're facing is a lot smaller. I played uh, center in football, okay? I, 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 I couldn't run fast enough to be a receiver, and so they put me right in the middle. I'm the tallest guy, skinniest guy, and they put me in the middle of center because I was the only guy who could snap the ball. And most of the teams we played, the, the guys were like three times smaller than me. And so, I mean, they were, you know, a little hundred and... 20-pound soaking wet guys, and so I'd pick them up, just throw them aside, you know, whichever way the play was running. But I remember we made it to the playoffs this, that year, and I was looking at it. It was a team from Detroit, and I'm looking at the roster, and I looked at their nose guard. It gave his name, and it gave his weight, 320 pounds. I went, um, anybody else want to play center for the playoffs? Look, when we face these obstacles, it's easy to get lost in the crowd. It's easy. There's strength in numbers. And, and absolutely, we need the gathering together of believers. We need to encourage and equip each other. But we need to understand as well that when Goliath offered up this challenge directed toward the individual sh soldier, they all cowered in fear when they were singled out. And sometimes the easiest place to hide your fear, sometimes the easiest place to hide your inadequacy or your lack of faith, or your insecurities, your hypocrisies, your shallow walk with God, or your lack of personal growth. Sometimes the easiest place to hide your faithlessness is in the church, is in the crowd, is with the other soldiers. When you've got other people around you doing the fighting, it's easy to step back. And sometimes the most dangerous place to be is in the safety of numbers. The battle's set and raid, they're in position, they're ready to fight. Yet when Goliath exits... And challenges just one individual, they're exposed for what they really are. Cowards, faithless, insecure, and fearful. The only other time that that word fearful is used, actually used twice, that Greek word for fearful, it's used in Revelation when it says, but all liars and all fearful will have their place in the lake of fire. And I always wondered, why, why are people who are afraid going to hell? That word means faithless, those who are faithless, who will not come to God, and they allow fear to control them and fear keeping them from coming and trusting God. Getting lost in the crowd, we need to avoid that. But fear also distracts us from the true enemy. Here's the problem. They're getting distracted by Goliath. Goliath isn't the enemy. The soldiers aren't the enemy. Goliath is big, I get it. He's like nine foot tall plus. He's a big guy. Saul was head and shoulders above him, and even Saul didn't want to go out and fight Goliath. So I get it. This is a big challenge. But compared to our God, it's nothing. I remember hearing somebody say one time that skyscrapers, we, everybody calls skyscrapers except for one thing, the sky. The sky doesn't call skyscrapers. They even come close to touching the sky, all right? We, it's all about perspective. And David comes along and understood. He hears Goliath. David understood, look, we are not at war with human government. We are not at war with other human beings. This is not even a battle between good and evil, the battle that God has called us to engage in. This is not even a battle about calling out people's sin and trying to make sure they know they're sinning. This is a battle between faith versus unbelief, period. Goliath was simply a challenge to see who will step up in faith and see God do a great work. Goliath wasn't the enemy. Goliath is just a minor inconvenience standing in the way of God's glory. David enters. He hears Goliath's defiance. Verse 26, he says, What shall be done to this man? Notice what David says. What shall be done to this man that killeth 
the Philistine, this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you notice what he didn't say there? He doesn't point out, he doesn't even say he's a giant. There's no mention of the fact that who is this giant? Who is that big guy? He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this guy who is defying our God, who is not a part of the covenant people? We are God's covenant people. This is an uncircumcised Philistine who has nothing to do with God. He's defying God. He's just a pebble in God's shoe that God will do away with. So what am I going to get if I go out and fight him? All right, I'll take him on. And he faces him with fear. Why? He had fear to overcome and fulfill mission because David was firstly possessed with a passion to pursue God and his glo glory. David was possessed with a passion to pursue God and his glory. David said, is there not a cause? He understood that God is greater than this enemy. David understood according to the Torah that if from thence in Deuteronomy 429, the Bible taught that if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy soul. When we seek the Lord, you'll know the Lord. When you know the Lord, you'll understand his principles and promises are given to us that we might face any enemy and glorify him. We are to be consumed with a passion to pursue and know God. And David was passionate with knowing God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy our God? Secondly, fear is overcome when we surrender to the purpose of living for God. Eliab, his older brother, begins to cr criticize him. Of course, anybody who's not facing giants are always going to criticize you when you decide to step up. And when you see the giant that is facing society today, when you as an individual, maybe as a church or as a preacher, whoever you might be, when you decide, I'm going to face this giant and maybe, maybe I'm going to take a little different method or maybe I'm going to take a little bit different approach, but there is a giant out there of people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe some of the old methods aren't working and so we're going to try something different just to get them the gospel and make Jesus known. There will always be those who are out there ready to criticize, but just remember, the alliance who are out there criticizing they're good standing with all the other soldiers. They're faithful to the army. They're faithful soldiers, but they're not facing Goliath. Somebody's got to do it. David understood and surrendered to the purpose of living for God. David reasons with his brother. Is there not a cause? Is, is there, are we not Israelites? Is there not a cause? It only made sense to David that Goliath must be met and silenced. It was, just, it was logic to him. This is even beyond courage. It's just logical. Who is he that he should defy our God? He was, behold, he was bold because David knew how big his God was. And because of his faith in the revealed word and even his experiences, David understood God will give him the victory. David had learned to surrender his right now to God. And in surrendering his everyday moments to God, he knew he could trust God to take care of his tomorrow. No matter what came, no matter what giant stepped up, God has not given us a spirit of fear of power and love and a sound mind anxiety and fear is the enemy of abundant living we must learn to trust God's promises to meet our need and we'll face every obstacle with courage David was an example of living with a purpose to live for God it means I have full confidence in his power and his sovereign care 
Every experience in David's life, he understood, was preparing him for greater challenges. He told Saul later, look, God sent a lion, attacked one of my sheep. God sent a bear, attacked one of my lambs. I took that thing by the jaw, ripped its mouth open, and saved the lambs. And this giant, this man will be like that lion and be like that bear. David understood every moment in his life surrendered to God was God preparing him for even greater obstacles. So that when this giant stood up, David said, look, he's able. God can do it. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Thirdly and lastly, fear is overcome when we surrender to the power of the will of God. This means being a resource for God. Now David offered up his resources to God. But he offered up himself as a resource. We must surrender both to the authority of the will of God by submitting to God's will, but also surrender to the ability of God's will. It is God who works in us both to will and to what? To do of his good pleasure. It is not just God's will that we submit in perfect obedience. Yes, he wants us to submit in obedience to what he commands us, but in that submission, he gives us the ability to fulfill his mission. When we purpose to know God, to fulfill the will of God, he enables us with power to fulfill it. That's why when he came onto the field, David could look up at Goliath and say, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come unto you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, whom you defy. This day the Lord will deliver thee into my hand. And what does he say? I'll take your head from you. I'm going to feed your carcass. It gets I know it gets a little gruesome, but it's Bible. It's okay. And he says, I'm going to feed your body to the beasts of the field. Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That was the impetus of his courage. His faith was built on the fact that God desires to glorify his name in all the earth. And all you have to do is plug into God's will and plug into God's work. And he'll do the rest and glorify himself. He said, this day they will know that the battle of the Lord is the Lord's. He does not save with sword or with spear. Sometimes I wonder why on earth would God take a white kid from rural Michigan and drop him somewhere in an Islamic nation in Africa. What on earth do I have to offer? But whenever I come to scriptures, I realize God delights to take that which is most improbable in order to glorify himself in doing the impossible. And God desires to use us to do a great work. It's not about your stature or ability. The issue here is not about how big Goliath is. He's just a minor inconvenience in the pursuit of mission fulfillment. The issue is that he is defying God in his glory. It is my calling to manifest the greatness of God in all the earth. And I have everything I need, whether it's a stone and a sling, a sword and a spear. I have everything I need in the gifting and the promises and the calling of God to fulfill and glorify his name. And God delights to glorify his name through you and all your weaknesses and all your inadequacies with all your giftedness with all your abilities god will use you when you surrender to live for god's glory and if we as a church will determine and purpose to pursue god to follow his will to finish his work and to fulfill mission in living for god there's no stopping what god can do in and through us jesus said that I will build my church. The question is not, will the church continue to advance? It will. The question is, are you going to be a part of it or not? Are you going to be standing on the sidelines as David runs out on the field and takes out Goliath? Or will you stand now and say, whatever challenges 
2021 and the future faces, God's name is not yet known. And it's our job to make him known in all the earth. May God help us to determine to fulfill his purposes. Father, we thank you for the example of David. And Lord, help us to determine tonight again to renew ourselves to pursuing you and to accomplish your mission, that is to glorify your name here in St. Thomas and around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Pastor, would you come and close?